You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. All right, so today we're just going to look at one verse in 1 John 5, 13. Um, it is the purpose clause, purpose verse. No, you don't need to plug it in. We're good. It is the, the purpose ver- clause verse of um, why John wrote this, this whole epistle. And um, as Nate has already informed us, as he's actually walked through most of my sermon already, it's this wonderful thing. And uh, um, it's neat because I don't tell him any of this. This is just the Spirit working through him, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't prepare a whole lot of it. He's just letting God guide him, and this is a wonderful thing. Um, and so in, in verse Chapter 5, verse 13, John gives us his purpose statement for writing the whole epistle. And um, I've already uh, have been told that this should be a very powerful illustration, right? Some of you will get it. Maybe not. Stephen got it. <laughs> so I want you to think of this. Actually, I saw this in a video because we usually, again, I usually put up a video just to try to get the parents' time to come back and everything. And, um, and, and this illustration was used by, by someone, and I'm not going to mention them, that's just kind of gone wonky here in the last three years. And I just didn't, didn't want to put that in you that maybe that you can go and check out some of his stuff. Some of his older stuff is wonderful. Some of his newer stuff, uh, not so much. But I want you to th- use your imagination a little bit. So th- this is an extension cord. I didn't have a rope. Um, and I want you to think of this as your life. Okay, so this is your life. So it, it, you don't see where it ends. It's, it goes on forever. That's the idea. Okay, and this part right here represents your time on earth. This is, this is eternity. It goes on forever. And this is your time on earth. Now, most of us, what we're doing right now is we are striving so hard and we are working so hard right now as, as we've you know, left mom and dad, and we're moving into raising families and, and working. And, and what, what we seem to be doing is we're, we're striving so much for about this much of our life. In other words, what we're doing is we're working hard, we're building funds, and we're, we're doing things so that one day that we can retire and then do all the fun things that, that we don't think that we can do during this part of our life. So I, I wanted to bring that illustration up to, to get you to start thinking about an eternal life. Because that's what the Bible's concerned with. That's what Jesus has come to give you, is an eternal life. And as, as Nate has already reiterated, that this eternal life is, is not something that happens here at the very end when you take your last breath and then all you step into eternal life. No, eternal life starts the day that you are born again. It starts the day that you are born again. So stop and think about that. This is your life, and this is eternal life. So how much effort are you putting into this life, and how much effort are you putting in to eternal life? Because this is just what the Bible calls a breath, and then it's gone. But this is all eternity. For millions and millions of years, we'll be with Jesus, we'll be with our Lord, we'll be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I just wanted to, to maybe to have you start thinking about that as we look at what John says in 1 John 5, 13, which is the purpose for his whole 
epistle. This is the only verse that we're going over, but we're going to kind of unpack it and look at what eternal life is, and then how are we living it out today, and maybe what are some barriers that's, that stopped us, and I hope that uh, the good Lord will, will help us see that through His Spirit and His Word today. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that Your, your Word and, and what Christ has done on the cross has, has given us eternal life, and may we begin to live that life. May we step into that life. May we have hope that knowing that there's nothing that man can do to us, there's nothing that can happen to us on earth that can take away my eternal life with Him. Father, the, the question is simple. It's, have we stepped into that life today? Are we still living and trying to fix ourselves? And Father, I just pray by your Spirit that you will help us see what you have offered in this life that you have given us. This life that you have given us. Father, we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe. So he's definitely the whole epistles. He's writing to those who believe. He's trying to give them insurance. He's trying to, to show them what they can know, what they should believe, and how they can know that they are saved. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of the God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, John is, is looking back and summarizing what he has been saying and reminds them of his objective when he began to write. Remember his objective all the way back in, in John chapter 1? John is a pastor, right? He has really deep affections for these people. These are probably the, the church of Ephesus that he's writing this to, and, he, and he's lived with them, and he's, he's shepherded them. And, and what his, his whole purpose is he wants to give them assurance that, that and to enter into fellowship with them. And the only way that, that we can enter into fellowship with one another as believers in Christ is if we are already in fellowship with God. And that's what he's reminding them. Here is the one verse he sums up the purpose of writing to them, which is that those who are Christian, those who believe on the name of the Son of God, might know that they have eternal life that you have eternal life, that your biggest fear, according to Hebrews, has been taken away, and that is death. If you spent some time pondering on this, or if, and really you don't see it unless you spend time with other people that are, that are actually accessing this and, and asking questions about this, but you live so much of your life in fear of death that we, we just don't realize it as humans. It's part of our fall because each one of us have lived a, a part of our life, some longer than others, apart from God. And apart from God, we experience death because of our sin. It's part of our, our flesh. If we look at the prayer of Jesus before he goes to the cross, right, which Tim read and set up so beautifully, we see that this was Jesus' concern. That this Jesus, it wasn't just John. I mean, you stop and think about it. John's a, a, a disciple of Jesus, so he heard him say all these things. He heard him teach all these things. He was one of the ones that, that was closest to him. He was in the inner circle. So he really spent a lot of time with Jesus. And this was what Jesus was saying in his high 
priestly prayer. Again, the prayer for his people and those that are going to come, those that thousands of years later, us sitting in this room today, will come to Christ and be with him and, and have this eternal life. See, Jesus comes to bring eternal life. John 17, 1 through 3, just let me read it again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the question I was asking myself that I, as I was looking at how to divide up these last uh, few verses of, of chapter 5 of the epistle, I was stuck on this question, what is eternal life? What is this life that he has promised us? I know that, that, that we had the adjective eternal life, but really he's giving us a new life. We're new crea creatures in Christ. So what are some things that maybe we can look at what John wrote in his a gospel about Jesus, about what it means to have eternal life, or what is this eternal life? And let me just point out that, that what John and Jesus is speaking of is, again, life, right? It's eternal life. We think eternal life, oh, that's when I take my last breath and I move on. No, it, it, it starts now. It's, he's given us this new life. Why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now we have life through the new birth, and we live through the life of another who now dwells in us. That's, that's the Christian life. This is the new life he's given you. He's given you a new life so that you live it through him, that he dwells in us and we now live it through him. Many of us haven't got there yet. Many of us are, are trying to figure out how to do that. Some, some areas of our life, we've, we figured that out. Some areas of our life, we haven't even embarked on that. But I think John will have some help with us, for us today. There are nine truths that we can know about this eternal life, just by looking at some, some scripture within the Gospel of John. The first one is this, that this life is divine. It is not native to us. This life is in Christ before it is in us. The life that he is, he is speaking of, the life that we now have, is a divine life. It's it's. Our life before we were born again um, was leading to death, but now we have a new life. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now as, as Christians, those that are born again, we live in God's design. We live in the fulfillment of God's design that we should be his living temple now, today. We are his living temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And then one day he's also promised us that one day that this flesh that we're dealing with, the flesh that is dying in us, the flesh that causes us pain and, 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 and the desires that are attached to that, that lead us off of, of the path of, of Christ and lead us into sin sometimes, that, that flesh is dying and one day we will have a resurrected body just like Jesus. What a wonderful promise, this life that he gives us. What a wonderful promise, a divine life which we have in Christ. So how do we obtain this life? Through the word. 
That's the second thing that we know. That we obtain this life through the word. John 6, 68 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's through his word and then the work of the spirit that causes us to be born again. In John 17, 20, later on in his prayer, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Stop and think about this prayer. Jesus prayed a prayer 2,000 years ago, and you're sitting here today. Because those who will believe in me through their word is us. As the word has been handed down and handed down and handed down and handed down. That's pretty incredible. That Jesus prayed that when you heard the gospel, that you will be saved, that you will have this new life, that you will have eternal life. The third thing that we know about this eternal life is this life is a gift of God. It is a purely a gift of God. Remember, he told Nicodemus that the wind blows where it wishes. We do not know where it goes. And so is it all of those who are born again. In John 6, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is a gift. This is truly a gift. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing good or bad. You're not better than anybody else. It's just a gift that God gives, this new life that he has given us. Coming to him is through faith. And again, we learned that the only way that we're going to come to him is if we are first then born again and he gives us the faith to want to, to change our desires because our, our desires in the dead state, in the, in the state before God apacked uh, acts upon our heart is that we're just we're going to run away from God. We might live morally and we might we might be able to do some Christianese things but truly to live for God you must be born again. That's what John 5:1 told us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God past tense. If you believe that means you've been born again first and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Again, it's a gift. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. So this life is divine. It's through the word. It's a gift. And this life is by union with Christ. This is what happens whenever we are born again to Christ. We are unified with him. That means that his perfect obedience, his righteousness is all credited to us. We are, we've been unified with him. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this life is is being and living in the vine. And then the fifth thing we can learn is this life is a, is a present reality. We've already said that multiple times. It is a present reality. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now look at the, the, the way that he says that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has, past tense. You already have it. You have his life. You have it. He does not come to me into judgment, but you already have, past 
from death to life. You already possess this life, this eternal life that John is talking about. We possess it today. It's just whether or not we're living in it. Whether or not, and how is it that you live in it? He just told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as you look at what we're, we're having coming up on June 25th, this is a, a discernment workshop. So this is, workshop is designed for you to be able to learn how I am to do all things through Christ. That's what discernment does. See, discernment is, is to take the time and learn to contemplate and use the Word of God and, and to seek His will in your life, to seek what He wants you to do. And many times what happens is, is what He wants to do, He wants to change you so that you can look at the circumstance differently, that way you can find His will for that circumstance. That's what discernment does. Discernment is leading us to, to live this, for apart from me you can do nothing. Well, how do I go about that? And that's exactly what we'll be learning on June 25th in this discernment workshop. How to discern. It's not about, okay, oh, I'm going to come to this workshop and I'm going to discern. Should I get married? Don't I get married? Should I take this job? Not take that job? No. You need to discern what the will of God is for your life. It might be to take a job. It might be to stay right here even though you don't have any understanding of what's going on. It might be that it's, well, you're going to be single for a while. Well, I really want to be married, but maybe you're going to be single for a while. So it's about finding out, and many times we find God's will by him changing us so that we can see what he's doing. Where we get to a point where we just lay down our stuff. We, we lay down what we're trying to do. We lay down what, what our desires are, and we just say, okay, Lord, whatever it is for you, I want to glorify you, whatever it is, whatever it is. I just, I just want to, to glorify you. And that's what he's saying here. It's eternal life. It's a life unified with Christ. And the sixth thing is this life is a personal relationship with God. Again, this is what discerning and spending time with him. Just, I'm not trying to guilt you because guilt doesn't really help you because if I stand up here and guilt you into something, what you're going to do is try to fix it yourself. And, and everything I've tried to do for the last three years standing up here is, is try to show you you can't do it. You need Christ. You need his help. You need to lean, in, lean into him. You need to lean into his word. You need to lean into to what he's doing in the spirit that's dwelling in you. You need to lead into the brothers and sisters he has around you. You can't do it. Stop trying to fix yourself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. John says... In the, in the gospel, in, in 17.3, he says, In this eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, when you have Christ's life imparted to you by the work of the Father, you know the Father, and you know Jesus in a way that no one else knows him except for those who are united to him. It's a gift. You know the Father. You did not know God before you were born again. You knew some things about him, but you didn't truly know him. This intimate relationship. And why does he use the marriage as the example of this? Because there's a difference. You know your fiance before 
the, you know, then you marry, then you know her after that. It's a difference. And the, and, and the beautiful thing is, is that that all happens so that six months later, whenever God starts to change you because you're now married, now you have someone else that's going to point out your sin, that's a wonderful thing because that means God is growing you, which is his purpose, is to grow us, to be more like Christ. It's not to, to, to act a certain way, but, but to live a certain way. To live. Do you think that, that Jesus Christ worried all that much? Stop and think about that. It's just one little, we're never going to get over that. But man, we can start living in the life of another and possibly less than that to where we can see where God is working all around us and see what he's doing and see what he wants us to do. So this life is, is a personal relationship and this life will not be interrupted by death. John eleven twenty five 25 through 26. Again, this in context, this is Martha and Mary, right? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That you will never die? Remember, Martha's running around and Mary's laying at the feet of Jesus. She's trying to fix everything and she's taking a better portion just to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. Again, it's a personal relationship. This life will not be interrupted by death. And this life includes a resurrected body. Amen. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. One day that these bodies that are, are falling apart on us as, as we grow older and different things happen and those that, that loved ones that we've had to say goodbye to because of, of the body failing them, that one day we will all have resurrected bodies that will never let us down again. What a wonderful and glorious truth that is. And then, of course, the adjective that he's been adding to this all along is eternal life. This life lasts forever. That's the ninth thing we can see in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So let's look at someone who's seen this wonderful life and seen this great big God and and has written some things down about it. As we look to Edwards, if we have a slightest belief that eternal life is boring, if you think after a million years you will become tired of God, you don't have a big enough God. If we think that, that man, wait a minute, eternal life doing what? Well, the same things that we were called to do in the garden. We'll just be doing it in new heavens and new earth without sin. We'll have jobs, we'll be cultivating, we'll be doing different things, we will be living. Now, there's some different things about the eternal life where it says that there won't be marriage, so that's going to be different. But if you think that the rest of your life being with God is boring, and, and if, if as we've been talking about ever since we started at, at 1035 that, that about this eternal life, and it's never ever just like, wow, that's amazing, or Man, that gives me a little bit of joy, or, or I rejoice in that. But stop and think, what's, what's going on in your heart then? You have eternal life. 
and that eternal life that you can have right now as you're sitting here today as we leave and, and go about our week this coming week. And sometimes we need people who have seen this just to, to express it a bit more. Edward says this, The fountain that supplies joy and delight, which the soul has in seeing God, is infinite. It's infinite. The understanding may extend itself as far as it will. In other words, as far as you can understand it, it God's there. We're not going to fully understand it. We're not going to fully understand who we are. That's what John already said also. That we will be like him, but we're, we don't really know exactly what all that looks like. That's all hope. That's the hope that fuels us. We've, we've talked about that. The hope that fuels our obedience and our love for one another today. It doth but takes its flight into an endless expanse, a dive into a bottomless ocean. It may discover more and more of the beauty and loveliness of God, but it will never exhaust the fountains. It'll never exhaust that fountain. The fountain that, that, that gives you joy and delight, it will never be exhausted. So if, if Edwards is, is kind of speaking of the eternal life, the life in the resurrected body, but, but John is saying, and, and Edwards would agree, I'm not going against Edwards, that that life can be yours now today. Would you describe your life as that? The fountain that supplies joy and delight will never be exhausted. Is that how we're living today? That's the life that he has promised us. That's the life that he has given us. This is what John wants you to know for certain. This is what he wants you to know for certain. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know without any doubts that we have full knowledge of God. That we know him. That we have this life that he's given us. Which really points us back to last week where John was emphasizing and stressing that Jesus of Nazareth is really the Son of God and the Messiah. If we get truth about him correct, then we may know for certain that we possess eternal life. But if we get it incorrect, if we make a God in our own image, if we make something up that is not from the Bible, then we are amiss and we miss this eternal life. Because only Jesus is the one that was the perfect sacrifice that died on the cross, that took the wrath that we deserve and made the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He's the only place that we get forgiveness. He's the only place we get forgiveness. Do you trust in him today? If we get the truth about him correct, then we may know for certain that we possess eternal life. Jesus has revealed God to us so we may know him. Jesus is, is the impartation of who God is. Jesus in the Gospels is, is, is there so we may know who God is. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says it this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
John is reminding us that this life is not something we obtain only when we take out our last breath, when we take our last breath. That is not what he, he's continually reminding us that we have this life now. The life that Edwards described where we are tapped into this fountain of living water, this fountain of joy. That's the Christian life. Yes, we suffer. Yes, things happen to us. Yes, our bodies let us down. And, and it doesn't, whenever we say that it's a life of joy, it's not that we're always happy. There's something deeper than happiness. It's called joy. It's living in, in the hope that we know that, that nothing can touch us because of what Christ has done for us. And it's, and it's living in such a way that we know that God is sovereign and he's working all things out for our good, even though we do not understand it. What a wonderful, wonderful gospel he has given us. It's a life that we have now. Paul said it this way. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take it away. No matter how bad you have sinned, it can't be taken away. No matter how bad you're suffering and you think that your suffering is, is somehow God, you know, not bringing favor to you, that's not the case. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can take it away. Eternal life is something that we receive from God as a gift. He has offered it to us and he sent his son to a cruel death on a cross that we might receive it. Have you experienced this life? Have you experienced this life? Are you right now in your day-to-day -day life experiencing this life? And what, what happens to many of us, and I think this is by God's design. Again, I, I, the more I, I, I see the whole Bible put together and how he does things, uh, the, the more I see that, you know, like we come to faith and and we're all excited, and, and we have been changed, right? We're, we're a changed person, and things are changed, but have we really changed it? We just have this joy that's infused in us because obviously the Spirit is, is dwelling in us. But a lot, oftentimes that we're just a happier you know, person to get still gets angry and still is prideful and, and, and still has all the sins. We're just a little bit a happier version of that because he... I, I think in his grace, he allows us to go through this period of time. And then at some point in time, either we get married or, or a hardship comes along. And, and what happens is, is he starts to point things out that's in our hearts that needs to change. Then all of a sudden, this, all this joy and all this wonderful things that we had going on. Now, all of a sudden, John want, God wants to do something in us. He wants to change us so that, that we can be more like Christ. And then it all comes tumbling down and we're kind of confused and we're trying to figure it out. What's happening here? See, but over time, something begins to change. You begin, you begin to say, and, and maybe this is you sitting here today, God, I used to be so excited about you. God, where are those rivers of living water you talked about? Maybe you know the end phrase of Jesus' teaching about being in the vine where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but what your life is like right now looks more like God. I feel like I'm doing it all. I feel like I'm doing it all. Where are these living waters? Where, where is this help? 
Maybe what has happened is you have fallen into the temptation of becoming what Kierkegaard calls the gentle Christian. It's the gentle Christian. The gentle Christian is the one who has realized, I don't get it any longer. I don't understand how the Christian life works. And they resign themselves really to a life without the living waters of Christ. And so when the pastor says, let's pray, they bow their heads, but inside they say, I just don't understand what's going on. And they become gentle. They become kind. They don't stir the pot of their life because they don't want to be reminded of something not working. And that person in the pew is slowly dying and withering. And that's Dr. John Coe who kind of flushed out what the gentle Christian is. Is in other words that, that you come and you come on Sunday and, and you'll participate here and you'll do a little bit there, but really inside is you're just dead. You go to your Bible and you're not really interested in reading that. You're not really interested in praying to God. You're just kind of going through the motions. And you can't figure out what happened. You can't figure out what, I came to Christ and I was so excited and he changed so much and, and all this happened that now it's just kind of like, oh, I'm just fall into this rhythm of the life of the gentle Christian. I'll, I'll say some, some nice things and I'll make sure that I put up enough of a front that people really don't know how bad I'm feeling. I'll put up enough of a front that they don't really know how bad things are going at home or at work or in my life. You just live the life of the gentle Christian. What is happening? Why do we experience the life that Jesus died to give us? I think Paul sums it up well. I think Paul has given the Galatian church exactly maybe what is happening with us. And maybe you're sitting here saying, like, Joe, I'm not there. I'm full of life. God just keeps working in me and through me, and praise the Lord for that. But maybe there's some here. Maybe I'll just preach to myself, and that's fine. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 says this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Maybe you're not experiencing eternal life because you have slipped into the temptation to perfect oneself in your own power. You're doing it all in your own power. It's not how am I living my life with Christ, it's I'll fix myself, man. I don't need my brothers and sisters, you know, don't, don't need the, the church, I'll, I'll fix myself. I got some podcasts in Google, I'm good. I mean, we all do this to one degree and another. It's part of the fall. It's part of the flesh that we have. We all fall into moral temptation because that's what it is. Now, let me define that. It's the attempt of the hidden heart. Again, this is part of the fall. This is, this is the heart that the, the, the desires that we have, right? John's already kind of identified some of them. Remember he said, don't chase after the wor world, Right? the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He's already talked about this a little bit. We've talked about it. 
is an attempt of the hidden heart, not, uh, not something we consciously want to do. It's the attempt of the hidden heart to try to perfect oneself in the power of the self. It's the attempt of the Christian to use spirituality, obedience, spiritual formations, service, ministry, the spiritual disciplines, being good, all these things, to relieve the burden of our spiritual failure. Is that what you're doing today? That we're checking all the boxes and saying, I'm doing all this, but we haven't entered into that life that, that Christ has given us? As we've been walking through the book of 1 John, he has been calling us to obedience, to love one another. When you hear that, let me ask this. Here's a diagnostic question. When you hear that, we've been, we talked about that for four weeks in a row. Love one another. So when you heard that, this, is, this will be a good indication of whether or not you're living to, to fix yourself or to, to, to live by yourself or living through the Spirit. When you hear, heard that, did you say this? Oh, God, I don't do that enough. God, I need to do that more. That's fixing yourself. Or was it, Lord, okay, you want me to do this. You want me to walk in love. So could you please help me? Did you spend time praying to see, okay, I might love these eight or ten brothers and sisters, but I don't quite love these eight or ten brothers and sisters. So would you sit down in the weeds long enough to find out what are the barriers that, that you don't love them? What are the things that rub you wrong about them that, that's irrelevant because we're all going to spend eternity together? And sit in the weeds long enough to see what the true desires of your heart are, so therefore that you can take it to him, that you can live and ask for help from him. We hear what God says, and immediately we, we heap guilt and shame on ourselves and try to relieve a burden that only Christ can relieve. Because if the first thing is, is anytime you hear a sermon or any time that you're reading the word and the first thing you do is like, oh man, I don't do that. I got to do better. All you're doing is going back to the garden heaping guilt and shame on you. But Christ has brought you out of that. There is no more guilt and shame for you. It's just whether or not we're going to live like that. This is whether or not we're going to live daily like that. I pray that all of you have felt this because that is God working in you. Does that make sense? Do you see how God's working in you through even the times where you feel guilt and shame? The Holy Spirit is working in you. And if you never have experienced this, I pray that God will give you life today. You see, it's, it's the hidden heart. And, and as I, I was unpacking just the, the front part of this, if you're sitting there saying, oh no, that's me, oh no. See, you're trying to fix yourself. Instead of saying, okay, God, what are you trying to do in this point in time? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to show me? Where in my life am I not believing the gospel? Where in my life do I need to trust you more? That's the gospel. That's what the life is. Remember, the new covenant given to us, according to Ezekiel, is that God will put his spirit in us and cause us to have a desire to follow his word. It's just whether or not we, we acknowledge it. 
What we do many times is engage in certain activities, some of the things that I listed above, hoping it will take the guilt and shame away, that these things will grow me so that I don't fall into a particular sin. In other words, we have this, this idea that, okay, okay, how am I going to stop doing this specific sin? Well, I want to read my Bible more, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church more, and I'll do diff different things more. And we think those things are what's going to change you. That's not what's changing you. What's changing you is sitting down in the weeds of what God has brought to light in your life, right? And seeing how the gospel changes those desires. Because we have wrong desires. That's part of the fall. No amount of effort can ever relieve us of this burden of shame and guilt except Christ. There's no self-help program to fix ourselves, to grow ourselves, or to take away the shame that we have. In fact, this is what we are saved from. This is what we're saved from. We're saved from a life of consistently looking at our lives and feeling guilt and shame over all the ways that we don't measure up because we're never going to measure up. That's the purpose of Christ. If we could do it on our own, Christ would not have to come. That's the purpose of the gospel. We are saved from that life. We are saved from a life of trying to be good, to please God, and to try to deal with our guilt and shame on our own power. We're saved from that life. Now we do it in, in the life of another, and that's the life of Christ that he's put in us. See, what we all do is attempt to live this moral life where we're always fixing ourselves. And there's a life of living water. There's a, a life of free from this. This is how we are raised. This is not our parents' fault. This is how I raised my children. Until I, I, I'm starting to understand the gospel more and more. I mean, stop and think about this. Here's, here's how this flushes out, just in, in a simple example. Okay, Johnny, stop hitting Susie. That's good, right? And then what do we do? Johnny, be good. What did we just do? What we did is we taught Johnny how to be moral. Right? But the gospel would say this, that, okay, Johnny hits Susie. Now, if it's a continuous hitting, we stop the continuous hitting. And then we sit down in the weeds of Johnny's desires with him. And we ask Johnny, Johnny, what's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? Why are you hitting Susie? And you know what? Most people can tell you the desire that caused them to do their action. And, and so we sit down in the weeds with our children, and we ask them, what are the desires that is happening in your heart? And then we take the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, and it makes no sense in the middle of it. It makes absolutely no sense to tell Johnny that Jesus died so he doesn't have those desires anymore. Because what we want to do is we want, we want justice. And the cross is the justice. Do you see how freeing that would be for a child? That every time that they did something that their, their heart's desires would, would raise up and cause them to do, if their parents would sit down beside them, sit right in the weeds with them, sit right in the sin with them, and simply ask them, what was the desires behind your actions? And then take them right to the cross. Are they going to get punished for it? No, they're not, because we don't get punished for it. That's the purpose of the gospel. But they will see the love of God. And that is what changes them. 
That's what's going to stop them from hitting Susie anymore, is the love of God changes their heart. And that's what he wants to do with us, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter if you're 10, 30, or 80. That's what he's doing with us all the time. That's why we have environments such as, as D groups where we sit down with brothers and sisters. So whenever a sin comes up, they can sit down in our weeds with us. And then they could point us to the cross. Why? So we don't attempt to fix ourselves and continue this moral life that we have been saved from. That's the new life in Christ, brothers and sisters. Is that the life that you experience now? Is that the life that you're experiencing day to day? See, it's not about knowing all, all that you know. You know so much. I mean, what's the problem is, is we know so much that we sin because we know so much. Because we know what we're supposed to be doing. We just don't do it. And it's not about someone standing up here, do this, don't do this. Let me give you five tips to do that, six tips to do this. No, it's not about that. It's about sitting down in the weeds with somebody else. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get trampled on when you do that. But that's when you go back to what John says. If you love God, you will love your brothers and sisters. And it's okay to get trampled on once in a while. It's going to happen. But I'm telling you, if you sit down in the weeds with your brothers and sisters once in a while, you will see God change if you can get them to see that it's not about them fixing themselves, but it's about pointing them to the cross and see that Jesus fixed it all. He's taken away our guilt. He's taken away our shame. We no longer need to walk in that. This is the new life that he has offered us. Because when we're moral, all we're trying to do is to grow ourselves. It's an attempt to fix ourselves. This is not the life that Jesus came to give us. It's not the life that Jesus came to get us. There, there is some very good truth. Remember that wristband that came out a long time ago, what would Jesus do? There is some very good truth in that. But we can't be like Jesus. That's the whole point of him coming. The idea is that we trust in him and rely on him. And he will change us and make us to be more and more like him. The whole Bible points us and tells us that we can't do what Jesus did. That's, that's why we live a life reliant on someone else. Calvin and Luther would call this that we participate in the life. That's what he's calling us to. Do you participate in the life of the one who saved you? We are to abide in him. 1 John 2, 24 says, that what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. This life is not about fixing yourself. It is about participating in a new life. If you are born again, your very person has been invaded by another person who is God. And our efforts are no longer to fix ourselves, but to open up to what the person is doing. Do you understand? We're opening ourselves up to what God may be doing. Let's go back to the discernment workshop. We are opening ourselves up to what God is doing. Doing in our lives, doing through our lives. 
And so the Christian life, as John has said all through the epistles, is about a certain kind of obedience and is going to be a certain kind of effort. But it's going to be an effort that is opening the heart to this new relationship about participating in the vine, about what it looks like to depend upon another, to depend on another person for what I am about to do. We are born dead in our trespasses and sin, and, and so in the power of myself, I have been leading and guiding my life. And that even came into the Christian life, right? That, that's kind of how the, the default position, and, and then what this is all designed to do and what the Word of God is designed to do is to help us to get out of that life and to start living a life dependent on another person. At some point, the Spirit now says, Joe, I want to take you on a whole new journey. Thank you for all your efforts, Joe. <laughs> it's been good. Now I have a different turn for you. And it's going to be the ride of your life because I want to take you to the places where you will discover that apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you will help us. This is not something that gets fixed today. This is something that is a lifelong journey, Father. Lord, I pray that the Spirit will help us to see this. The Spirit will help us to, to step into this. The Spirit will, will help us to not have fear to step into this new life. Father, I think that's why John said that perfect love cast out all fear. Lord, I pray that each one here that, that hears me knows of this life, at least a glimpse of it that, that Lord, it, it's not about fixing themselves. It's not about hearing this message and saying, what am I going to do? The what am I going to do is sit at Jesus' feet through the word, through prayer. And see what he wants to say to you. And may we have humility to go to other brothers and sisters who may have walked the journey a little longer and ask, this is what I'm struggling with. How may I trust in another to live out what it is I'm called to do? Because Every single one of us are called to be his ambassador. Every single one of us are called to be agents of reconciliation. Lord, I, I just pray today that, that your spirit will help us to know and abide in you, to know of this new life. Lord, I pray that you will help us do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.